All right, well, this morning we continue on in our summer teaching series. We're calling it Storyteller. We're walking through uh, the parables of Jesus, these stories that the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, told to uh, people when he walked on the earth. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't grabbed one of the, the forms that have uh, a list of the various parables in the scriptures, they're in the back, back there. Make sure to grab one of those, fold it up, put it in your Bible, and if you want to read uh, throughout the course of the week, it's really a really great thing to study at home what we're studying. We, we say often that we want to be a people who really break in our Bibles, and the Bible is not just something that sits on the coffee table and looks really nice and makes you feel special and holy in your home, but it's actually something that you open up and dust off and, and really live out. And so open up your Bible, and if the parable list will help you with that, uh, how cool would that be? And so take one of those home. Uh, remember that we've said along the way that parables are, uh, they are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Uh, to kind of recap some of the stuff that we've taught so far about the parables themselves outside of the specific parables that we've taught, we've seen that, that parables are stories that ancient Jewish rabbis would use to uh, really uh, convey spiritual truths to people, and they would do so by using uh, characters and items and things that they really connected with, like kings and fields and vineyards and sheep and trees and barns and roots. And so that's what we're really doing uh, as we go through this, is we're going to connect with something that really connected with them, but I think uh, really kind of span time and could connect with us as well. People could relate with them, and people could also remember them. Some of you have heard some of these parables along the way growing up, and you refer to them. You might not know the exact reference, but you say, I remember the parable of the talents, or whatever it may be, and so they connect with us. They were really these carefully crafted illustrations. A lot of times we like to think about, you know, Jesus is God, and so he just walks around and he just kind of speaks off the cuff, and it's so profound, but you know what? He was human as well, and so he had to study, and he had to work at a sermon much like I have to do, and so I would imagine Jesus really carefully crafted these stories before delivering them to people. They were also used at times... uh, Interestingly enough, to conceal the truth for those people who had already rejected Jesus in their hearts. And at this point in his ministry, there had been people who had rejected him. And so we read in verse 10 of this chapter, for example, uh, that he says, I speak in parables so that in seeing they, those people who have already rejected, may not see. And in hearing, they may not understand. So these are people who have already rejected Jesus' uh, message, and so he obscures the, the, the truth at this point from them so that they wouldn't then go rat him out, and it would prevent them from being more angry and uh, premature murder of the Savior before the time is appropriate. And so he speaks in parable for numerous reasons. Today's parable is a really profound one. It's a really, really important one. It's one that calls us to do some self-evaluation, and self-evaluation is really never a bad thing, and so let's just kind of willingly enter into that today. I want to start by casting for us a little bit of an illustration and just really ultimately a a vision for us, and this is borrowing from Jesus. Uh, One of my favorite places to go in the city is the Arboretum. You've been there? Love the Arboretum, and it shocks me when people say, oh, I live here, but I've never actually been to the Arboretum. Well, you're missing out. It's Harvard's Arboretum. It's here half in Roslindale, half in Jamaica Plain, and it is this massive, I think it's 280-something acres owned by Harvard uh, for international 
horticultural research and for public use for us to go and to hang out in. And so I'm a big promoter. Sometimes I feel like, you know, the Arboretum is a band and I'm on the street team. And I'm like, you got to go. The Arboretum's awesome. You know, and I, that's kind of how I feel. And I just love the place so much. If you haven't gone, really go. It's a great spot to, to get out and to uh, stretch a little bit in the midst of the city. It's known for uh, having this really crazy uh, collection of trees from all over the world, a lot of trees introduced into America from other countries right here at the Arboretum. And they just fill the park, and they're some of the tallest, uh, thickest trees that you'll ever see in your life because they've been well-preserved and protected and were planted uh, and introduced here long, long ago. And so I'm a thinker, and so when I go and see these crazy, massive trees, my, my mind quickly kind of goes back to just thinking about when that seed first hit the ground or when the, the tree was, was first planted by maybe a, a student. I, I, I don't know, I imagine a student or a professor from Harvard 125 years ago or something, you know, getting down on their knees and planting the seed. And I would imagine them to be, you know, very passionate and dreaming about one day this tree, you know, growing up and being admired by Harvard students, you know, generations down the road. And I'm sure they didn't imagine in their mind, you know, a Harvard student looking at the tree while listening to his iPhone, snapping a picture of the tree and putting it on Instagram while standing on a Segway. However, um, they probably imagine somebody checking out this really cool tree that they themselves are planting and putting the seed in the ground. And, uh, you know, this morning, I, you know, I want to not excite you about horticulture, or about, you know, bonsai trimming or something along those lines. I, I really pray that, that God would ignite in you just a vision for spiritual growth. Just for spiritual growth. And it really begins with the planting of, of a seed. And listen, I'm not even just calling you to like an additional thing in your life. I'm not calling you to a, another hobby you know, another you know, social thing that you can do, another interest, uh, engagement, um, something for your family. I- I'm calling you to the mission. It's, it's really the thing, and that is to be a part of the mission of Jesus. And we have this mission that can unite people of different races and different languages and all over the world, that we can be a part of the mission of Jesus, that we can be about putting seeds in the ground, and seeing them grow up and something great come. Jesus has called us to what? He's called us to go and make disciples of all nations. Catch this. The nations have come to us. The neighborhood that we're in right now, one of the most ethnically diverse neighborhoods of the city of Boston. And so we can make disciples of all nations by starting in our neighborhood. And it's not that we have to be on mission to save the planet. No, we too needed the mission to come to us. So we are people who have been covered by his grace. It means we need help. We need the Lord. And now we've jumped on his mission and we're devoted to the mission of Jesus. Does Jesus say in uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, does he say, I will build my convert or two or three? No, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so when you think of church, we're not thinking of bricks and mortar. We don't own this building. This is a school. This is a cafeteria. That's why the floors are ugly. He's thinking about not bricks and mortar. He's thinking about, I'm going to build a people who are connected. I'm going to build this living 
organism. And so when you plant a seed, the vision I want you to think of is as you plant a seed, you're planting an opportunity for, for faith to sprout that somebody could then connect into uh, Jesus and his church. And when a church begins to, to grow, we want to be the kind of church that, that is growing taller and wider and, and deeper so that we can have the ability to, to be stronger and to, to stay longer. You know, you know it's clear we're a brand new church for this neighborhood. And so I think of us a lot of times like a little sapling of a plant. We're starting to sprout ourselves a little bit here, but we're vulnerable. It's too much rain washed away. We're kind of just flopping in the wind here. We don't have real deep roots, but it's starting to, to take off. And we call what we're doing together church planting. And I was reflecting on it this week, and I was thinking back to, you know, maybe a, few, a year or two ago, you know, we were, we were all kind of in this thing, and try, but now we're kind of at this place where people aren't just coming to the church. People are themselves on mission. You hear stories like Megan's, and people themselves are, are on this, and they are planting churches. This isn't just a dream of Josh and Becky from Worcester. This is a dream of, of all of us together being about seeing a new and life-giving church exist where there previously uh, wasn't one, and so we are Excited about you being a part of the mission of Jesus, planting seeds, and being that little sprout that starts to grow up and to put down deep roots. And our heart is to see new life in Jesus, renewed life in Jesus, and, and grow up and blossom. And then our dream is to see a spiritual ecosystem. I mean, can you get that vision? Uh, a spiritual ecosystem where our roots start to go really deep and and we plant others, and their roots start to go really deep, and our roots somehow interconnect, and, and then we grow tall, and we provide a canopy of shade as the seed grows up, and that canopy of shade blesses the people that aren't even necessarily a part of the, the church. They can pick from the fruit and, and receive the blessing of the body of Christ, much like last night in the park. Uh, trees provide homes for people. We care for widows and, and orphans. We, we provide a strong spiritual ecosystem, which starts not with the church start, but starts with you being about planting little seeds that would then grow and develop a spiritual ecosystem that we call a church or a family of churches so that we can bless the Lord ultimately as our goal is to glorify him, but also to bless our city, right? Jeremiah, seek the welfare of the city. Bless the city. That's the heart. This, this kind of language that we're talking about here is first laid out by Jesus as we just read in Luke chapter 8. And this language then kind of spins off into the rest of the New Testament and continues on today. And some of us use this language all the time, just planting seeds, brother. Right? We use this language all the time. We don't even think about it all coming back from here where Jesus gives us this really great parable of, of the planting of a seed into various kinds of soil. It's also recorded in Matthew 13 and Mark 4. Uh, think it with me about farming and seed sowing for a second. It was really uh, their culture, uh, very, very familiar uh, to them. It's called contextualization. It's not changing the message of Jesus, but it's bringing the message of Jesus into a particular context. And so we all have to do that. Right? When I'm working with teenagers, I talk about things that I probably don't talk about with most of you all, but it's contextualization. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And he's talking seeds and soil and planting and roots and fruit and crop because that was their culture, and so Jesus 
used it. Listen, don't be afraid to get into the culture and to utilize cultural norms to share the message. It's what Jesus did. A lot of times we think this was first ours. No, Jesus is using the language of the people. And so we use it even today because Jesus first contextualized it for them. And we want to do the same. We want to be in the culture, in the world, not of the world, and speak the message uh, in cultural context and then redeem the culture from the inside out. This uh, local tradition will tell us that this parable was uh, spoken at where they call the Cove of the Parables. It's this crescent-shaped cove where Jesus infamously uh, hops onto a boat uh, to speak. Uh, Interestingly enough, it was reverse of what we're doing here. The people stood on the beach while Jesus sat in a boat to teach. Verse 4 tells us, if you look down, uh, tells us that there was a, a great crowd around him at this cove of the parable. And here's the parable that Jesus gives them. Just to sum it up, he says, a sower goes out to sow seeds. And the seeds that the sower sows falls on four different kinds of soil. The first kind is the soil on a, a, on a dirt pack ground. And it hits it and it bounces and the birds come and they eat the seed. The next kind of seed falls onto rocky soil. And so it's rocky, maybe has some dirt above it, but just a little bit. It's shallow. The seed hits it, grows quickly, but it withers because it lacks sufficient moisture. The next kind is the soil with thorns. So you can imagine the seed falls between the thorns and it starts to grow up, but it gets choked out. And then the last kind he says is this. He says, good soil. Falls on good soil and it grows up. It bears fruit, produces a hundredfold return. Verse 8, notice it says that Jesus called out to the people. Called out to the people. This really tells us that he was making a really important major point. He calls out and he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he gives the parable, real simple. And he says, Now, if you have ears to hear this, hear this. In other words, he's saying, Some of you are not going to hear what I'm saying here. Some of you are going to get it, but some of you are not. Remember, he's obscuring the message for some, as we discussed earlier. So he's saying, listen up, those of you who can get this. Listen very closely. This is really important. And sure enough, some people do actually listen up. Look at verse 9 in comparison to verse 4. Back in verse 4, you have this great crowd listening in to what Jesus is saying. And in verse 9, only the disciples come up and say, we want to know the meaning of the parable. We really, we want to not just let it come into our ear. We want to understand and really get the meaning of the parable. And so, sure enough, there's a great crowd, but those who had ears to hear were much smaller. I'm always interested in the ministry of Jesus as you follow it through the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the the record of the life of Jesus. And you see often this contrast between the crowds and the committed, the crowds and the disciples. Many people came to get his healing and get his profound teaching but guess what when it was time for him to go to the cross right crowds and the committed and the people who had ears to hear in this case were just those disciples who came up and wanted the meaning of the parable now it has a little bit of something for everyone and so i think we can find ourselves in this parable in multiple places and so jesus 
breaks it down for these hungry disciples. Let's read again 11 through 15 if we can. He says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But those who have no root, uh, they believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way are choked by cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Other gospel accounts say a hundredfold fruit they bear. And so in this story, we have three big characters that I want to point out. The first one is the sower of the seed. The second one is the seed itself. And then the third one that we'll spend the most amount of time on is the soil. Now, the sower here is the guy who's out scattering seed. He's throwing it, obviously, anywhere and everywhere, from strategic places to not-so-strategic places, right on the hard-packed ground. But he's throwing it out and about. Now, will every seed that hits the ground bear fruit and grow up eventually? Of course not. Most won't. But does that stop him? No. And for so many of us, we think, oh, well, you know, they're never going to believe. I don't, I don't tell Jesus to them because they, I just know them. No. No. You think about Jesus in Athens, uh, or Paul in Athens in Acts chapter 17. The, the chapter ends with, it says, after he declares this, this message of Jesus, some people mocked him. Some people said, hey, talk, talk to us about that a little more at another time. And then other people joined him and believe. And so you sow seed and some will take it and some will not, but you sow the, the seed. Now, who does the sower represent in this text here? I want you to notice that of all three of these major characters, sower, seed, and soil, the sower is the one that Jesus doesn't even explain. You know why? Because it should be obvious. Jesus is the sower of the seed. A lot of times we like to give ourselves the credit, don't we? Oh, look at all this work. I've sown all this seed, and man, look at, look at my hard work. And Jesus says, I'm not even going there. I'm sowing seed, and I'm going to use you, but I'm sowing the seed. And Jesus is the one who does all the heavy lifting. He's the one who lays down his life on the cross. He's the one we give credit to. Now, don't get me wrong. We sow, we work hard, but we're doing so under the example of Jesus and under the power of of what Jesus has done in our lives, and so ultimately it's him sowing through us. But he doesn't, he doesn't need us. Let me remind you again, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Only God gives the growth. God doesn't need us. He gives us this privilege to be on mission with him. We are just an instrument that he is using as the sower who's doing the, the planting. My boys are obsessed with Big Poppy, and so anytime he sees a big black man, they go, Big Poppy! I'm like, no, just because he's black and big doesn't mean he's Big Poppy. They love David Ortiz, and when David Ortiz crushes his out of the field, nobody goes, that was an awesome bat. What kind of bat is that? He just No, they give David Ortiz the credit, right? Likewise, 
We don't get the credit for the work of the, the, the ministry. Jesus gets the credit. We're the instrument in his hand. And if we're not careful like David Ortiz, he might just break it. And so be careful. Jesus gets the credit. We're the instruments in his hand. And we get the privilege of being a part of seeing lives changed. But Jesus ultimately is the sower. That one's obvious. He doesn't spend much time there. But God does want to sow seeds through you. And so humbly do that. Be careful in your heart and your mind lest you become prideful and think that you're something when we're not. He does that work through us. The next character is the seed. Verse 11, Jesus says the seed is the word of God. The seed is the message of Jesus and what he has done. And the message is really not that complicated. It's pretty simple that you go back to the beginning of the Bible. God creates us for a relationship with himself. We say, no, God, I can do it on my own. I don't really need you. We turn from him. The natural result of turning from the one who breathed into us the breath of life, saying, I don't need you anymore, is death. And so we die. God sees us in our state of death and death eternally. He has compassion on us. He sees that we cannot save ourselves. So he becomes one of us, Jesus of Nazareth. He walks this earth perfectly, not sinning, undeserving of death, yet he lays down his life on a cross And so that if we would trust in him taking our punishment, him being our substitution, then we can be made right with God because we trust in what Jesus has done, not our faulty life on this earth. And we call that the gospel message, which means good news. And so the seed is the message of Jesus. The seed is this gospel. And we have a powerful, powerful message. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 116 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so the seed, there's power in the seed. And again, I'm, I'm so amazed when I think about a little seed planted in the arboretum that grows up to be a massive tree. Are you West Coasters? The redwoods are pretty incredible. I've heard about one redwood that you uh, can drive cars through. There's, there's one that grew 35 stories high, 22 feet wide. I mean, just imagine somehow that came out of a, out of a seed. Let that for you just serve as an illustration of what God can do in your life, that he changes us, he brings us to heights that we never thought we could be, uh, where we could never have imagined. doesn't mean that you are uh, free from the storms of life, that they're going to come, but guess what? If you're a redwood, you're not too afraid of storms of life, are you? You have deep roots and you are strong as God grows you into that. And then As a big tree, you can serve other people and give fruit and give shade and give structure. And so thinking back to the explosive power of the seed is pretty pretty incredible, huh? I'm not ashamed of that seed because it's it's power. The original language there in Romans chapter 1, 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power is, is dunamis, right? Sounds a lot like dynamite. That's where we got... The word from, the the seed has this explosive power in our life. And some of you have that story where, man, God has just exploded in my heart. It's amazing. I never never thought that could happen, but he he does that. Think about this, too, as we think about the seed. The seed is not a limited resource, is it? It's It's not a limited resource. In fact, the more seeds you sow, grow up trees, which produce more seeds. And 
just more seeds. And the gospel is not limited. It doesn't run out. It's available for all. And so we'd be diligent in scattering the, the seed wherever we go. And we throw out the seed and we just pray and work and ask that God would grow something from that. Now, we've looked at the sower, Jesus, through us. We've looked at the seed, but the last thing we want to spend the most time on, and we really want to do some self-identification in here, is the soils. That's where Jesus breaks it down and gives us some really good stuff here. And so let's think about the soils, for example, for a little while here as he gives us these four examples of of soil that the, the seed might land on. They really represent four different heart conditions. And so you might even look at your own life and say, that was me for a season, that was my heart for a season, this is me now, I'd love to be there identify with one of these. It's a good thing to, to do. The first soil that Jesus explains is the, the hard soil in verse 12. If you want to look along again. See, some of the, the seed is going to fall on hard soil. Back when I was in high school, I was a cross-country runner. And there was this one particular field that we would go and run in for practice we do seven miles runs there three times a week. And then on Saturdays in the summer, we do a 21-mile run in this massive area. But then we'd go through the woods, and then we'd come out on these fields. And they were big, grassy fields, except right down the middle of the field were these narrow little trails where all the runners would run and hard-pack the, the soil down so that if seed fell on it, it wouldn't grow. It would either just blow to the side or birds would come and eat the seed because it was so... Hard. You just couldn't penetrate. And some people reject the message of Jesus. The seed of the gospel just hits their heart and just bounces right off their heart. They've heard the message, but it just is rejected by them. And they reject the seed that God has planted there, put there. Jesus makes it clear, and I, I want to be very careful not to be mistaken. He says that this is the work of Satan in a heart. Let's just be really clear with that. In ancient Jewish uh, literature, first century in particular, birds often represented the enemies of, of the Lord. These represented Satan and his, uh, his forces coming. And these picture that Jesus is painting for us are these birds coming to eat the seed off the ground. And so one could attribute rejection of Jesus to, well, logic, you know. I don't really, you know, the the sciences don't seem to really jive with the Bible. Some could attribute the rejection of Jesus to need. Well, I just don't, I don't need Jesus, and so I'm I'm good. Some could attribute the rejection of Jesus to timing. Well, you know, right now is not the right time for me, but maybe maybe someday I'll 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 follow the Lord or, or look into that. But you might say maybe someday until the day you die. And it's too late, or as we said last week, the door is shut. So we could attribute the rejection of Jesus to logic or need or or timing, but ultimately, what does Jesus attribute the rejection of Jesus to? It's it's the work of the enemy in your heart. And I pray that our hearts are not hard to Jesus. I pray that instead, verse 12, that as he says, we would believe and we would be saved, that we would believe in what Christ has done in his death and burial and resurrection, that we would believe that we need that. We would believe that he saves all who call upon the name of the Lord, that we would really believe and be 
saved and not be hard soil where it just bounces off of our hearts. So we hear the message even this morning yet again and say, I'm good, I'm good. Because you might be good until the day you die and find that you're not. I say that not to be a jerk. I say that out of love. Motivated from a genuine conviction from the the scriptures. The next soil he gives us is the shallow soil. The rocky soil. Look at verse 13. Tells us that some soil, it's going to be fairly shallow. That there's a little bit of soil, but underneath there's, there's rock. And what happens is, A seed is planted there, and it grows really quickly, this particular one. But because the soil is not deep, roots can't grow deep, and it's gone. At the first sign of trouble, maybe it's rain or wind, it falls away. Maybe you can think back in your own life, and you've seen this happen in the lives of other people, that a person responds to the message of Jesus, maybe as a as a, as a young person even, or somebody responds to the message of Jesus, they get really excited really fast, they're, they're passionate, but they never grow deep roots in their faith, and next thing you know, they're gone. And what happened to that life change experience? Temptation came their way, or they just, you know, the passion faded. They had shallow soil, and they didn't go really deep. But Josh... Think back to that. And it was such a powerful experience for them. Or it was such a powerful experience for, for me. Well, Jesus says, yeah, it was. it was. It was powerful. Verse 13. They received it with joy. It was like, yes, this is awesome. Jesus is awesome. I love Jesus. He says, but they have no root and they, they fall away. I, I want to say this. This is really important. You need to catch this. Don't judge your salvation on past experience judge it on current life change don't judge your salvation on well back then something really that was awesome it was so cool it was such a a high i hear people all the time there was a service and the service was like just so powerful it was so great what's going on in your life today that's why in second corinthians chapter 5 17 Apostle Paul says this to this really messed up church. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so, according to the scriptures, you can see who a Christian is, not based on, we'll just look at this past experience, but has my life been changed? You don't judge whether you're a Christian, made right with God, have salvation on a moment when you walk down an aisle. You don't judge it based on baptism or CCD or confirmation. What is the confirmation of your salvation? That you're a new creation, according to the scripture. That the old is gone and there is clearly new life in there. That something has sprouted that's evidenced by lasting. So when I see people come to faith in Jesus, I get excited. Trust me, I'm excited But I also say, let's pay attention to their life and let's talk again in a a week, in a month, in six months, in a year. Let's see where they're at five years from now. Are they still living for Jesus? Not that we don't struggle a little bit. We all struggle. But if you never come back, you were never truly a believer. Because the Bible says that no one can snatch you out of the hand of God. And so whether you're someone who's in the hand of the Lord or you're a a truly deep planted tree. You cannot be ripped up if you're truly a believer. 
However, if you're on shallow soil, you don't have roots, you're not the real deal. It's a flashbang experience. Comes and it goes. Don't judge on a past experience. Judge on what's going on in your heart and in your life today. I say that, let me be careful, not to cause doubt in everybody. Christians don't need to walk around and live their life saying, I hope, I hope, I hope I'm saved. You can know that you know, but you can also be evidenced by true life change. Third soil is this. Verse 14, it's the choked out soil. Some seed is going to fall into soil that's covered with, with thorns. And what happens is the, the seed uh, begins to grow maybe a little bit, uh, but it never really bears fruit because the thorn bushes choke it out and it, it's gone as well. And sometimes in sharing the message, maybe you sow seed and throw seed out there, the message of Jesus, but people are just too preoccupied with the things of the world. Maybe they, there's a little something there, maybe there's nothing at all that comes up. It's choked out by the cares of the world. The most common example is the one that Jesus gives us is riches. Some people too wealthy for Jesus. That's why Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's an illustration. You can laugh. He's saying it doesn't really happen that frequently. He says because people tend to think I've got it together. I'm all right. And he says you need to know that you need me. And so he says, here's the thing. Don't let the the pleasures and the riches of the world choke it out in your life. Some of us can be preoccupied with the pleasures of life and say, you know what? I'm good. I got so many fun things I want to do and being a follower of Jesus just ain't fun for me. So I'll pass. And let let me just clear something up here. Notice that Jesus says pleasures. What does pleasure mean? It means it's great. It's pleasurable. He's saying it's fun. Listen, sin can be fun, right? It can be really fun. Don't lie. See, many Christians will say, you know, there's, there's this God-shaped hole in your life, and until Jesus fills it, you're going to be absolutely miserable. No. Because some of us say, like, they, they seem to love life. They seem to be doing all right over there. Can I just clear it up that that's not necessarily true? Yes, some celebrities will pull a Chris Farley and you think they got it together and they're funny and they're loaded, but then they, they die or commit suicide. Other celebrities will enjoy the pleasures of life until the day they die. They will be happy until the day they die and spend eternity in Misery, And so I hate it when Christians wrongfully teach that everyone will be miserable until they meet Jesus. It's just not true. And I want to clear that up. That if the enemy has his way, one of his great tools is that you can be quite happy without Jesus. But then you find that you really, really needed him. But you were too distracted in the pleasures of the world. Choked out. The seed in your life. And you were deceived. He would love to choke, choke it out. He would love to kill the realization that we have very real spiritual need because we're so loaded that we don't see any need at all. 
You look in the ministry of Jesus, there's a lot of fruit with people who are lower income. You look in the ministry of Jesus, there are a lot of people who came to him who had physical needs. That's pretty true in the world today. The further up the pyramid we are, the narrower we tend to be to the gospel because we think we don't need anything. And that is a tool, friends, of, of the enemy. And a lot of times we just think, oh, I just don't need Jesus. We, we need Jesus. And the Bible says that one day every knee shall bow and every knee shall confess. And some people it will be too late because it was choked out. I pray that we will catch the vision for growth as we see these three kinds of soil and say, I really don't want to be, I don't want to be that. Maybe you have already kind of identified with one of these. Jesus gives us this last kind of soil. And praise God if you're here, I pray that he'll turn you into this kind of soil. Verse 15, it's the responsive soil. He says it falls on some good soil, the right condition for a healthy plant to to spring up. Jesus has said, those who hear, you can hear. Have ears to hear, you can hear. And some people really do hear the message. And as they hear the message, roots go deep, something beautiful grows up and bears fruit. It's it's life change. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7? You will know them by their what? By their fruits. How do you know somebody's a, a true Christian? Well, when they were seven at that one church, when they were 13, they went to the CCD thing. And he says, no, you will know them, not by the past. You will know them by their fruits. It's right here, plain in the scriptures. It doesn't necessarily mean that yesterday I was dealing crack on the streets of Boston, and today I'm completely free from all addiction. It doesn't necessarily mean that when we talk about life change and freedom. That's why he gives us these words, hold fast. Those who bear fruit with what? With patience. means that time will tell. Some people have those stories. It's amazing. You see somebody's life flipped upside down. It's like the next day. I've heard them. I used to struggle with alcohol. It's just not something that I struggle with any longer. That's, those are awesome. But other people, it was a continued battle. But in time... And look at all the work Jesus did. He changed, he changed me. He changed me. And I'm praying that that's your, your story, that you can say, and I am a new creation. There is evidence of new life. And that we can then move forward and start to grow deep roots so that you can be strong and you can stay the course and you can bear fruit with patience, with perseverance. I'm, I'm praying that that would be all of us. That would be all of us. And some of us, maybe we're not bearing the fruit and we're identifying that we're one of those other kinds of soil and it's time for us to do some good evaluation in our hearts. Are you hard-packed soil, unwilling to receive the message? I pray that's not true. Are you rocky, shallow soil? Where maybe your story was, yeah, I lived for Jesus for quick moment and then it just no roots the soil that choked you out and maybe you can even identify some things in your life that are just priority over the lord or maybe today maybe today the soil of your heart is being softened by the washing of the water of the word scripture will tell us 
by our sower doing that work in our hearts, pulling weeds and thorns. Maybe today your heart is ready to receive the message of Jesus. You're saying, wow, for the first time, I'm having ears to hear. I mean, I've heard this before, but today I'm having ears to hear, and I hear it, and I, I want it. And you say yes to Jesus. It's starting to germinate. That's why the scriptures will say, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. And so maybe today you need to call upon the name of the Lord that you turn from the life giver, that he came to this earth to give you life, and that you say yes I need Jesus and what he has done. And you begin to follow him. Maybe today, I invite you to that. Christians in the room, let me close by talking to you. As you think through this, what can we control? We can really only control the releasing of the seed from our hands. I wish some of my family members, I could just go and just say, be soft, soil, you know but they're hardened, and it breaks my heart. What we can control is that we sow the seed, we throw it out there, and we pray, and we serve, and ask God to use it to soften hearts as we throw a movie in a park, as we love on a neighborhood. We pray, and we serve, and we sow seed. We get dirty by being relational with people and be right down like Jesus on his, on his knees washing the feet of his disciples. That's us on our knees working soil. That's what he was doing. And we do that. But ultimately, God brings the growth. Ezekiel says that he takes that heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. And we're asking him to do that. But we've got to sow the seed. We've got to sow the seed and trust God to change hearts so for all of us check your heart are we sowing seed are we one of the faulty kinds of of soil let's ask god to to do the work in our hearts let's pray father thank you for your word your word is truth we need it we need to receive it and so would you allow us to today would you open our eyes that we might see Would your word not return void? Really accomplish a great work in our hearts and lives. I give my friends in this room to you. Lord, those who, they haven't given their lives to you. There's there's no fruit that's growing up and, and being born. There's not new life yet. But I pray that in this moment they would come to know the Lord Jesus become a new creation, sprout up and grow life. You would do that work in them. You would change them. Give them a new heart. Make them new soil. May they call upon your name. God, I pray for Christians in this room. And we be about your mission. And we be about scattering seed, loving well, as Jesus did, sacrificially, selflessly, that we would love our neighbor as ourself. We would not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power. May we so believe it that we can't help but tell people about it. May we sense the urgency of it. And flowing out of that, God, 
that you would build up many sprouts of new life that would grow tall and deep and wide and be a strong, interlocked community of faith and ecosystem here for Boston that would bless you and bless our city. Commit these things to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.